Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another edition of the Brethren Podcast. You may have noticed our new intro. Uh, shout out to Obscure 8 uh, Productions for producing that for us. And shout out to uh, Brother Destrian for uh, linking us up with the connection on that. Um, Got to introduce my brethren as always. Dr. Jama Loving, Ph.D., and Destrian Wells of Destrian Wells Consulting. Um, this may be some people's first time listening because it seems like we ain't been here since the first time. It's been it's been a while. I think it has been officially two months uh, with travel schedules, speaking schedules, homecoming schedules, life schedules, and uh, class schedules. Um it's kind of hard to link up. I mean, we, we of course keep in contact and, 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 and chit chat with each other and hold each other down. But when it comes to bringing you this content, we can't just throw it together and, you know, in any old fashion. So when we have the time severely dedicated for it, we bring it to you. And this is one of those times. So, um, we're going to hop into a topic soon, but just to catch up everybody to, you know, let it, let, let you know, we ain't, we ain't forgot about y'all. So we still here brother and how y'all doing this evening? <laughs> I'm doing all right, man. I'm I'm happy to hear both of your voices at the same time in this in this high quality recording studio environment. It's really nice. It really is nice to to uh, to get back together. Yeah, schedules schedules can can be tough sometimes, but um, I, I, it it bothers me when we uh, when we have breaks and I hear people. Um, coming back via social media, sometimes face to face. When I go to conferences, like, oh, when is it, when is a new episode dropping? And and we uh, we we're all trying to figure out what you know when we can get the time to, to make it work. So I'm really happy that we were able to make it work today, and I'm looking forward to just breaking bread and discussing with you gents this evening. It's all good over here, man. This is Wells checking in. Definitely a pleasure to be on the line with you guys. Miss you guys a lot. Like you said, we talk often, but you know this is a this is a work that uh, we're passionate about, and we want to make sure we stay in front of the people, especially about timely and relevant things, specifically with the things that are going on now. Yes, yes, y'all, and we don't stop. Um, this is a first uh, for Brethren Podcast in the sense that this will be the first time uh, that one of us is recording while actually on travel. We've tried to do it before multiple times, but you know things don't don't line up. But DJ is actually on on uh, on work travel right now, and it's uh, burning a midnight oil with us so that we can get this content out to you all. Um, so we'll hop into it, but in true brethren fashion, like we always do, we always have to have cognac conversation. Not necessarily <laughs> cognac, but I just like the way that that sounds because the alliteration of two C's. Uh, um, so we'll go around the table and introduce uh, your drinking buddy for the evening. Dr. Levin, we'll start with you. Oh, so today I decided to get a little bit creative, and I mixed uh, Ciroc, Apple, and Coke, uh, otherwise known as the I Need to Go to the Liquor Store cocktail. But I will <laughs> say this is surprisingly delicious. So get, give it up to Diddy and take that, take that. It's a wonderful drink. <laughs> We'll call we'll call that drink a black granny. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Wells, like what are you, <laughs> Mr. Wells, what are you uh, libating with this evening? Hey man, par for the course over here. Hennessy Black, splash of coke, keeping it real light. Can't do too much. Uh, doctor's orders, man. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, 
I am uh, paying homage to the original Nearest Green. Uh, so I am on the Uncle Nearest 1884 version. I had the 1856 uh, a couple of episodes back. So now I'm on the 1884, the small batch. Um, so to good conversation, knowledge being dropped and wisdom being shared. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Whew, burn so good, don't you agree? <laughs> I got my fist in the air for your uncle nearest. That was, that yes, was. yes, yes. Black owns, black owns, yeah. black owns. Yeah. I'm a, uh, a forever support. And I actually found it at a cheaper price than I originally was buying for it, so I'm, I'm pleased with that. But um, we're going to switch up uh, our format uh, a little bit. You know, if you've listened to us before, you know, we usually kind of introduce a topic, kind of hit you with a couple of uh, subtopics that we're going to cover and uh, give you some practical steps to apply. But due to the current state of affairs, particularly for the African-American and the black community, American descendants of slaves, the diaspora, if you will, um, we thought it would be poignant uh, and relevant to speak about uh, economic inclusion and how it is currently affecting us, how it affects us, and, you know, possibly, you know, to to, kind of stay in line with uh, brethren, brethren fashion is to, Talk about some solutions, possibly, you know, if if we can, or you know, just some ways to insulate yourself from um, economic hardships based on the current state of affairs. Um, but I'm gonna throw it to uh, uh, DJ in a little bit because we definitely want to, you know, this topic is brought about due to the Byron Allen situation. Uh, it's a it's a court case that's going before the Supreme Court. I believe it started today on the 14th. Um, he previously won two court cases uh, where he was a co-plaintiff uh, in it. Uh, it's along him and, along, and the uh, National Association of African American Media Organizations. I think that's the name of the of the group. They were they both sued Comcast and uh, Charter uh, for not wanting to carry the TV channels that are owned by Mr. Byron Allen. Some of his uh, TV channels include uh, Pets.TV. The Weather Channel is the the most uh, Prevalent one that mostly everybody knows. He owns, I think, 17 channels, something like that, and produces hundreds of shows, literally. Uh, produces, directs, and and releases hundreds of shows. Um, and so he was suing because uh, Charter and Comcast refused to carry his channels, and he felt like it was based off of racial discrimination, which is covered by the Civil Rights Act of 1866. I think it's 1866, right? That one, which uh, a moment of transparency, I didn't realize that there was a Civil Rights Act before 1964. <laughs> Just being honest, I thought that was the first time people was talking yeah. about civil rights and giving that's, people something. That's one of those good uh, uh, radical reconstruction acts that, uh, you know, got right, right, swept right. under the rug by a lot of states' rights legislation that happened um, afterwards, right? And when you think about um, when you think about the dominant the, the dominant uh, legal opposition that African African Americans faced in this country um, after after um, emancipation, much of it came from state um, state laws and local ordinances too, right? And so even though we had this rush of individuals immediately following, you know, 
Um, yeah, I was gonna say I'm not sure it was 1866, but <laughs> it actually yeah, it, it, it is. It's uh, okay. it, they're suing based on the fact that uh, okay. it, it would right. it would violate Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, barring racial discrimination against non-white individuals and contracts. But yeah, like uh, yeah. the way you put it, it, it made sense I mean, to when me. You think it was about, one of yeah, those reconstruction like, deals. Yeah, because when you start to think about the uh, the legal environment of the time, I'm just trying to trying to give myself a little bit of uh, of comfortable, well, not not necessarily very comfortable, but uh, context about what was going on. Um, during those times where you could see, oh, he could use a law like that today. Um, based on what it is that we think about what was happening in those times. But remember, there was a rush towards um, um, civic engagement for black folks immediately um, immediately following um, emancipation, right? There were, in, in the South, there were many representatives elected and, and and immediately going to serve and and um and and that a lot of that is what ended up bringing about that that whiplash reaction of the Klan and Jim Crow and all of the things used to you know basically suppress the political and economic power of black people in this country um up until I would say up until the 70s, but um, you still see some of it, not necessarily as much um, enacted through legislation, but um, some of it just in terms of some of the institutions and how they behave um, still to this day. And so um, the fact that 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 law on the books is what they're using to try to um, to try to create some level of fairness and content creation in this new environment where you, you can see with Disney Plus and all these streaming services and all of these cable channels, there's just so much in the air. There's so much opportunity out there. And it just seems like there are, you know, the only people involved or the only companies involved are the larger uh, corporations and and most of those are headed by and um, have significant ownership by white folks and you don't have too many large content um, uh, providing organizations that are, are headed by black folks anymore and so um, I'm, I'm obviously sympathetic to uh, Byron Allen in this cause I, for a long time I've admired the fact that he, you know, went from a from a in front of this um, camera personality and comedian, and he, I mean, he was a, a, a decent comedian. I thought he was uh, fairly funny, but he's not, you know, he wasn't one of those ones that was extraordinarily successful. But he took the success that he had, and he leveraged it, and he leveraged the relationships that he had, and he put himself in a great position that very few people who have been performers. Um, have been able to put themselves in as business people later on. And so he's he's an extraordinary individual in that way, and I think worthy to be admired. And I think his expectations in terms of being treated fairly as a business person are some, uh, are some reasonable expectations. And I think that he's right to question whether his treatment has been um, has been a function of his race, at least in part. 
And so I'm, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's good that from time to time we hear these types of things. And I hope that, um, I hope that the Supreme Court has out, you know, has been fair or will be fair in, uh, going forward in terms of hearing these things because the stakes are high um, for for everybody involved. You know. Right. You bring up a uh, you bring up a good point. I want to go back and correct myself. I said he owns hundreds of uh, TV. Uh, station and channels. It's not. It's not that many. He owns uh, several different local TV stations across the country, and he owns uh, eight, eight or nine television channels. Uh, the Weather Channel being one of them. And there's a block of TV channels on some service providers. Obviously, not going to be on Comcast and Charter that have .dot TV uh, in the name Pit .dot TV Comedy .dot TV. Um, and so his company, Entertainment Studios, owns all of those, as well as uh, they produce a lot of shows. A lot of the judge shows uh, that you see, Judge Maybelline, for instance, her uh, her judge show that comes on TV, Byron Allen uh, produces, and his company his company uh, produces and uh, distributes uh, that show. Um, so it, you know he's everywhere. Uh, several of the shows that you may see him on, you may think he's just a guest on. He actually produces, directs, and and releases the show. Uh, so, like you said, he he is to be admired. Uh, one of the good one of the things about the case is the precedence that it has been. He's won this twice before in lower uh, lower courts and uh, an appeals court. They agreed with him. Uh, he had a twenty billion dollar lawsuit against one of them and ten billion against one. I can't. Uh, between Comcast and Charter, I think it was 20 billion against Comcast and 10 10 billion against Charter, and he won both of those cases. Um, and now it's being brought to the Supreme Court. And like you said, Dr. Levin, it's 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 like it's it's the eggshells where you you know this can go either way, and the implications uh, could far outweigh what 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 we can actually you know uh, imagine in a sense. Because, like I said, I didn't, I didn't even know that there was another Civil Rights Act that predated the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which now, if you know, if the the ruling comes against uh, Byron Allen, how does that affect us based on the Civil Rights Acts that we currently have in place? Like, what does that what does that landscape look like for us in terms of business and things of that nature? Because, from what I'm understanding, this section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is specifically about discrimination against non-whites in contracts. So how does that change the landscape for, for you know, that, that changes things across a myriad of industries because it's, you know, apparently solely just about contracts, whereas the Civil Rights Act of 1964 is about discrimination based on race, gender, uh, religion, and, 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 a, and a list of things. Uh, but it doesn't. It's not tied to a specific medium. This this particular act is specifically tied to a medium which covers contracts, which is across the board. Um, but DJ, I'll throw it to you because this was the conversation that you really wanted to uh, to bring up uh, with this economic inclusion. So the question I want to pose to you um, in terms of this is: How do you? What do you see the the impact? Uh, coming up to this point of economic inclusion, uh, because up until this point, you know, you can, you, you, we can, we can, we can easily fall into the illusion that we've been included. You know, like we've got black billionaires, we've got black millionaires. One of the points that uh, Charter and Comcast is bringing up in the case is that we don't carry your channel, but we carry Revolt. Revolt's owned by 
uh, right. Sean Combs did he? So that's one of the points that they're bringing up. Um, but then Byron Allen counters with, you know, you laid out a list of uh, protocol per se that you wanted us to, 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 to follow. We did that and you still chose not to carry our channel. So what's the deal? Um, but that's the, that's the, the angle and the question I want to pose to you is how do you think this, you know, this really affects us now or, you know, does this wake people up to understand like, Everything that glitters ain't gold. We think that we're being included, but you got a, right. you know, a, a rich black man who literally owns something that a lot of people don't even know. We know that Diddy owns Revolt. We know that Magic Johnson owns, uh, or you know, is 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 an owner of Aspire. Kathy Hughes owns TV One and Radio One. We got Byron mm-hmm. Allen that owns a block of channels, whole entertainment studios. We know Tyler Perry has opened up a, a huge studio, so. It's very easy to fall into this this uh, this fantasy of like oh we 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 included, but the whole time there's still you know still things going on in the background that we don't know. Well, what I would say to you is, um, you know, that's a very short list. It's a great list, but it's a short list, and I think that in general, you cutting that list off right there where you did says everything that you need to uh, know about where we are in terms of the state of affairs. You know, you look at Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry has, um, I don't know, at least 15, 20 some odd years of directing, acting, uh, playwright, uh, writing scripts, et cetera. And he's had to do some things that I would imagine that most people would say may have compromised his brand in some way, but he did it in the name of trying to establish some type of freedom for himself. So for that, I respect him. Um, and what he's attempting to do. Similar to Mr. Allen, I think that you'll see him come under greater scrutiny. I think that you've seen the struggles, quite frankly, that uh, that Diddy has had in terms of getting Revolt off the ground. It wasn't until he appealed to social media and to the masses where he went direct to the consumer where he began to be able to move the needle and get results. Because one thing we know about the superstructure that's in place they may not respect the color of your skin, but they will respect that green, that the cultural appropriation by which the uh, the talents that you have and the people that follow your lead will bring. So uh, same thing with Kathy Hughes. I mean, you think about DA, uh, D.L. Hughley, uh, Roland Martin, all those folks on her network, you know, uh, outside of those folks and their following really standing up for them, where would they be? You know, that, those are real questions that that beg to have answers. So let me let me just start here, uh, guys and uh, listeners. I personally feel like it's amazing that in 2019 we could even be entertaining the conversation that civil rights would even be in a position to be rolled back. I mean, the fact that a corporation or corporations would even leverage the rights of over 50 million Americans is unimaginable. But then I'll pose the question, or is it? Because we're talking about profits and we're talking about money. And I want to encourage everyone to remember that at the heart of this is something that uh, Mr. Allen said is that, you know, Dr. King said there are two Americas. And I know a lot of people fantasize and uh, fall in love with I Have a Dream, but I would encourage everyone black, white, and different, go back and listen to There Are Two Americas, or the other Americas, so to speak. 
And I think that that would provide some context and a lens that when Dr. Levin talked about the context of the times and framing of the, uh, the conversation and where Mr. Allen may be coming from, it would give you an opportunity to, you know, maybe take off the hat of, well, look at all the advancement that we have had. Only people who have not experienced what African-American people have experienced tend to tout the advancement because, you know, coming from where I'm from, I can look back just a short half a century ago prior to I was, when I was born, but listening to the stories of my mother and grandmother, Jim Crow was very real. Jim, Jim Crow is not far removed from our culture, our society, and it still has to be washed through the blood and the veins of people who still live and carry it and, and uh, pass it on to their lineage. I think what's really at the crux of this is four key components, and they're, they're not the same as what Byron rolled out, but these are just my takes on what's going on. Um, AJ, author. I think you guys know how I feel about this. I think we have to focus on investing. We have to be wise, astute investors. We have to have ownership. We have to have equity, and we have to be good stewards of capital. I think those are the things that Byron is talking about, and I think because he does all those things, no one, or in this case, Charter or um, Comcast, why do they want to come to the table with a person that has those four principles in place trying to achieve economic inclusion for a group of people who have been left out? That's a scary proposition for a corporation like that because unbeknownst to many Americans and, and many people that may be listening to the sound of my voice, those channels that Byron Allen is offering for free those channels are about the education of investorship, equity, ownership, and stewardship to transform the mind of that African-American young man, young woman, Hispanic young woman, or what have you, to make them aware that they belong in the conversation of economic inclusion. So part of his gripe is, I am trying to teach people that they should be a part of the process, and you are specifically denying me the opportunity to get this message out to those folks, and I have complied with everything that you've asked me to. So the question becomes, why would you do that? And it's because you don't want people to demand that they are a part of the process and they have their voice heard. So... That's a scary thing when you think about where we are. Look at what we are doing with having Mark Zuckerberg come to the Supreme Court or come to uh, Capitol Hill, testify against Congress around restrictions of, uh, I guess, freedom of speech or, 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 or things of that nature. To me, this would be the same thing, but from, a, from another perspective. You need those stories told. You need that information out there and you need people to want to be included but in order to, to to move the needle from where we are to where we should be it causes us to share power and sharing power is uncomfortable with people who feel like they're losing it so I'll move I'll move quickly I think there once we talk about those four core principles there are three things that become important to any family regardless of race liquidity 
longevity and your legacy. How do you do that? How do you accomplish having liquidity? How do you make that, you know, long term? How how do you turn that into longevity? And then consequently, how do you pass that on to the next generation of your family? And in order to do that, you can't just transfer the money. It can't just be, hey, here's this value that I'm going to give you. You have to find a way to transfer your values and your value. And I think this is what Mr. Allen is talking about, changing a mindset, changing a narrative, transferring that new mindset along with some economics is how you change the, uh, the trajectory of an entire demographic. And that's, that's, again, that's scary to people. So as he talks about economic inclusion being the last and final chapter of truly making America great, and I won't even say again, but to, if you think about economic inclusion, that has a local impact a national impact, but it also has a global impact. Because when you can participate in the economy in the manner in which you really should, or you get the information and the training, the education that allows you to do that, you're talking about some of the things that we have been building up to for probably the last year or so during this, uh, this work. You're breaking generational curses. You're looking at strategic partnerships. You're finding ways to uh, break through these imposter syndromes. All those things are present in economic inclusion. And I think that's why this is such a painful endeavor for folks to take. Not to mention, this is a black man who bought the Weather Channel coming to sit in front of you and smile and say, I bought this Weather Channel in spite of the fact that you didn't want me to. And it's the fourth largest media outlet. It runs 24 hours. And while I know you hate having to sit at the table and negotiate with me, these are the circumstances that you've been dealt. Let's negotiate. And by all accounts, what's been said is we will not negotiate with you. And in any other business situation, that wouldn't be tolerated. So I think that we need to pay very close attention to this because not only do we, not only are we at risk of this being a, a civil rights issue, this is a social issue, this is an economic issue, and this is a very telling time where you have an administration that is fully ingrained and involved with these things. And if you haven't noticed, this is not on CNN, this is not on C-SPAN, this is not anywhere where you can consume this unless you are a avid follower of really high-profile and socially conscious African-American entertainers or others. That is a problem because this is something that impacts our country in a significant way. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I wish, man, see, the tough thing about this is that uh, th this is uh, a complication uh, of capitalism, specifically um, corporate 
capitalism and how it evolved and has evolved over time, right? You know, I have a lot of people who, who are good friends of mine who who talk about capitalism as, as it being a horrible thing, but really capitalism is about you owning the product of what it is that you make, right? It's about you owning um, your own destiny. But the you, as it changes uh, from person to person and evolves to um, certain entities and then corporations and institutions, well, um, the things that can happen in economics and, and indeed in life is they can start to use the capital that they have to squelch competition, to um, and then just by virtue of the amount of capital that it takes to compete in certain in- industries, then it makes it more difficult for you to have real competition. So what ought to happen in a situation like this is, oh, these fools say that they don't want to carry the channels. There ought to be enough competition out there where other um, content distributors would be able to step up easily and fill in the gaps and compete directly with a Comcast or any of these other network, any of these other distributors that refuse to um, distribute these channels and distribute them, and then you know those companies should suffer because of it. But because of the relative size of these companies and the fact that it's difficult for others to enter into the uh, into direct competition with them then you are you're left in a place where people's subjective and arbitrary feelings become very very influential in terms of how your own business does and to the extent that we have that we've got you know a few different types of cases so you can have you know potential antitrust style cases or you know we you have monopolistic sort of environments by virtue of the fact that you have so few people operating or so few companies operating in this environment. And and in certain areas, you know, Comcast is all you have. Or, you know, DirecTV uh, versus um, uh, The Dish, right? There are some certain places, depending on the infrastructure that you have there, where you really don't have a lot of different choices. If you live in an apartment building and it's wired for cable and they don't have it set up where you can get satellite, well, you're just stuck. It's whoever they have, uh, you know, they have contracted out and whoever, um, whatever you can get, right? And so it's it's not like the world of, of perfect competition that people and, and professors included, we're the ones that love to theorize on these things, talk about. And libertarians love to opine and, and, and enjoy talking about, oh, well, these are the things that, that, that make America special. Uh, well, guess what? The fact is, uh, because of of our system and the way that it works and how successful some large companies have become, it makes it very difficult to get the type of competition that you would need to have to eliminate some of these more arbitrary racial preferences or sex or, or gender preferences or all of these other things, we always now have to wonder whether they're out there or why or what other triggering mechanism could it possibly be that would explain why a person who 
owns a company that was previously desirable to pretty much every outlet, the Weather Channel, would somehow now be undesirable to people and all of the other things that they have. Pet TV, man, with the way the millennials love their pets and Generation Z, I'm sure, is very similar. Man, there's, there, are, there are people who would probably watch it with binge that just that channel and probably are mentioning that channel too. And, and so, um, it's a complicated situation and not one that's 100% likely to work itself out just based on the market. I think that people a lot of times want to throw up their hands and say, Jim, go to this business. Just let the market work it out. The market doesn't always work everything out. And this is one of those situations where you can see where it, it might not work it out. And, and I think that we are likely to see more situations like this um, um, coming down the pipe as um, as uh, black people and other traditionally marginalized groups start to ec- exercise their financial and economic freedom in this country, right? Because the fact is that there are people who are uncomfortable with it. The fact is there are people who see um, power an agency as a zero-sum game. And so if you have power and agency and the ability to decide for yourself, then that takes something away from them, the power that they had over you, or at least the perceived power that they had over you. Rather than seeing your new gained independence as a potential source of new productivity for everybody who's involved, including the person who might be um, uh, opposing that newfound energy and that newfound power, they choose to see the world as a place where you can only be ahead by smashing someone else down. That right there is an unfortunate, uh, it's an affliction on the person that holds those beliefs. Right. Because when you start that, when you when your whole life is built on smashing somebody down, then you can never be truly responsible for your own your own happiness, your own joy, even your own feelings of of accomplishment for uh, for for actually getting ahead and explain some of the behavior that we see among wealthy people where there's never there's never enough. It's like drinking. But you're still thirsty, right? And you know the the religious folks could talk a good that they could write a thousand sermons on what it is that these folks need. But I can tell you one thing that that they need to do is change their thinking. And so we can we can talk about the source uh, for change to thinking. But changing your thinking and your orientation and your understanding of what it means to be successful. And what uh, success of someone else can do for you and for us collectively and how the world is an ever growing and evolving place with opportunities that can be increased for everybody around. Should we choose to see them? Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. I feel like I'm talking like Marianne Williamson right now. But I'm just saying like these. Yeah, those are some of the problems that we have, and, and we have issues that are fundamental um, 
people, persons inside the heart of individual level. And, you know, I always say people are more important than things. There it and goes. These, <laughs> yeah. And these, 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 uh, these attitudes and these, uh, these viewpoints and this, this lack of, of vision and, um, this, this sense of, uh, uh, this sense of, of selfishness and tearing away at others, man. It's it's something. It's a disease to the person who holds them, and it's and it also hurts the other people who they actually try to lash out at. But I, I really do think that um, that that if we are going to be successful as we ought to be as a country going forward, these are the wounds that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to heal. Um, if that's where we're, if that's what we're going to do. And if not, then, you know, we tear each other apart. Yeah. I've always been a fan of, uh, I guess I'll call it demographic based inclusion. Whereas, you know, whatever the percentage is that you make up, that's how much equity that you should have in that, in that realm, uh, or that medium. Whereas if this community is 80% African-American, then the police department should be 80% African-American. If this community is 80% African-American, then 80% of, you know, contracts and things of that nation needs to go to African-Americans. Now, if we're in a place where it's perfectly split down the middle 50-50, then that's how we do it. If we're in a place where it's 80% white and 20% black, then blacks get 20%. That way, where it's fair, it is fair. Um, That's just the way that I think because, you know, it can, it can, it can go either way, but I think that's one of that is the the fairest way. And there's always the meme that goes around of equality, equity, and justice, uh, and you know the difference uh, because equality means everybody gets the same thing, whereas you know that might not be sustainable for you. So equity is where you get what you need. Uh, everybody gets what they need. Uh, it's, the, it's the meme where the the, the 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 people are standing on the boxes trying to see the see the baseball game over the fence. And equality is everybody get the same size box. So if you're taller, you stand on the box, you sitting up higher, I'm short, and I'm standing on the box, and I still can't see. Equity gives me the box that I need to be able to see over the fence. Equity gives you the size box that you need to see over the fence. That way everybody's happy and gets what they need. Um, so I've always been a fan of that. Um, but, DJ, you uh, you wanted to talk about responsibility, but before you do that, I wanted to uh, pose the question, and you can kind of roll it into that, and then Doc will get your response to it. Um, in terms of yeah, both of you kind of hinted at it, uh, of us being in this game, do you think it is better for us as black people, American descendants of slaves, people of the diaspora, however you want to, uh, coin us for this conversation or this topic at this point in time, do you think it's better for us to, to take the silent part in the role? Whereas we get the white man to front to be in the front to be the face, just like we look at, and I'm, I'm just using this as an example, uh, the big three, which Ice Cube is really the face, but he also has a partner who's a white man. Um, and does that make, you know, is that, is that the move to do? Because now that he's, he's, it's more viable because now, you know, they went from Fox sports. Now they on CBS. And now, you know, now they're reaching more people, whereas, you know, had it not been, if it not, if, if the partnership was not set up like that, do you even think that we would even know what the big three is? Would there have been the yeah. struggle? Would there have been, would there have been more struggles? Because we yeah. had, we, we've had, 
you know, we've we've I'm pretty sure we've had black owned uh leagues of some sorts before. Or, uh, you know so, you know, do we think that we should take the silent partner role and just start gaining equity in things and just like, you know, y'all can think it's white owned, but behind the scenes, 51% of this company and 51% of that company and 70% of this company is all owned by black investors. So from the outside looking in, sure, you may think it's a white owned company. So when the white executives go to meet with, you know, other companies to get these contracts and things, they think they're doing business with white people, but lo and behold, the company is majority owned by black people. But, you know, and, and of course we all know, and especially you all in the realm that you work in, uh, you know, you know, there's a lot of digging going on. So, you know, it's not like there are going to be a lot of clueless people in these boardrooms to not know Correct. the full structure of a company. Um, but I think just aesthetically, do you think it would be easier for business to be done with, you know, without the black faces being in the front of the organization and just taking the silent partner roles? Let me let me take it first, and I'll pass it to Doc. So, I think that while I hate the question, I, I mean I absolutely hate it. I think it's valid, and I think it's very real. And the answer that I'll give is it depends, because sometimes you have to put pride, and we talked about this pride versus progress, right? So. If I put my pride aside and I'm looking at merely progress, sometimes I may need to get out of the way to get in the room. Sometimes I just need to be able to get in the room to get to the table. Now, in in, in ice cream like, situation, I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I like what you just sure. said right there. You just said sometimes you got to get out of the way to get in the room. Right. I just wanted to repeat that for 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 impact. But go ahead. You got to get out of the way to get in the room because. You know, it, it does you no good to have the type of pride that pounds your chest and you can't advance the effort for yourself or your people. So I think that what you do, and I want to be very careful the way I state this, is you put the mission before your uh, your pride. If the mission is to advance uh, African-American people and to make sure that they have a voice that's heard, that's a collective effort, Right. So it's not about Wells that's going in there and saying, you guys are going to listen to me. It's more so of me taking a strategic approach, saying, okay, who are the people that I need to have on my team to get this done? And as long as I know that is my team and my team knows that is my team, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, one of my counterparts that happens to be white or Jewish or what have you, they walk in that room and they set that meeting for me as long as they have the right intentions, and I'm sure that part of it is, you know, uh, fi financially motivated because we all want to be compensated. But if I know that they're in it for the reasons that I'm in it and I'm going to compensate them and eventually I'm going to get to that table and on paper, I own this structure, you, sometimes you got to get out of your way. And I think that's the key. Folks that don't look like us have been able to get out of their way for a long time by putting black faces on a lot of things. So how is it, and I mean, I, I really want, like I said, I want to be careful, but on some levels I don't care. Why are we beyond putting the proper face on a situation to make sure that it goes through appropriately as long as we own the structure? It's because we don't understand ownership the way that other folks do. 
we want to be the face when we should be concerned with owning. You see, other folks are concerned with owning. Hey, I, I own this building. I hire a black property manager. I'll have 70% occupancy in 60 days. They don't care how that occupancy happens. They're going to have it. You know what we do? I own this building. I'm the face of this building. I'm the face of this company. I'm going to go out and I'm going to make it happen. You got to get out of your own way sometimes. And it's okay to have those partnerships. That's why we talked about this. Pardon me for clapping. This is why we talked about this in season one. You have to be able to reach across the aisle and know that everybody's not out to get you. You find those decent people who understand the plight and the struggle and where this uh, effort really needs to go. And that's who you partner with. You partner with like-minded people. You know, we are a uh, we are a contingency of people that says, you know, we want to support black business, we want to do this, but we're going to support good people too. So if you have a person that does not look like you and they are willing to be the face of your business, to take that Trojan horse in there and make sure that this thing happens, you got to do that. You got to get out of your own way. You have to do it because it's about the advancement of the overall effort, not your personal pride. You can sit back and take pride when the job is done, but a lot of us take pride in getting in the room, and that's just the beginning. That's that's not you haven't gotten anywhere. You're just in the room. You haven't voted. You haven't had anybody come to your side. You haven't swayed any opinions, and I think that, you know, it's not about us giving up ownership and hear me clearly. It's not about us giving up ownership. It's about understanding who we can bring along to advance the effort specifically when they understand and when they're willing. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I think I agree with you Destrin, and like, man, I, I hate that question because what, what the question begs is is something that I think we all know from you know just just the feel when when we go into certain rooms where you know as a black guy with a PhD um, a lot of times I'm I'm the only one and people look at you like you don't belong right and and that feeling is. Um, it is one that whether whether you vocalize it all the time or not, you recognize it, right? You you recognize that that people um, sort of have that feeling about you, and I'd imagine that Byron Allen and successful people feel that, especially um, especially acutely when they're in these business dealings with with folks who are used to dealing exclusively with uh, with white men. And so, um, to, yeah, if you can have, if, if you can have allies, man, and I know they're out there. I know that there are, are white business people who, who think about all of the issues that we have described and know that it's not right and they want things to change and they want things to be more equitable and and to the extent that they could could start working with folks 
and, and with black folks and the people who the people who are not racist who actually are allies for black folks women and the lgbtq community those people have they've got to they've got to be willing to to stand up and take some place in the game it's it's funny because immediately the way you guys were talking about uh, this issue, it made me think of an Iceberg Slim uh, book slash movie called Trick Baby. <laughs> and it was a 1972 movie um, about a, um, a a child born of a black prostitute and a white John, and they called him a trick baby growing up. But then as he grew up and got older, he realized the value of whiteness in the world in terms of being able to get ahead. And, you know, coming from the background he came from that led to scams and capers. But the fact is, white still out to, has been. <laughs> shout out to the Tuskegee alumni, Iceberg Slim, <laughs> a.k.a. Robert Malkin. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you didn't miss an opportunity to shout out both Tuskegee <laughs> and, and uh, Iceberg Slim. And, and uh, I was like, I was thinking, man, this is probably going to come as some sort of surprise or departure to some people. And for others, they're going to be like, nope, that's a Jammu being a Jammu. But mm-hmm. still. And he's from Chicago, so. Right. This, this story is, is one where that value of whiteness still exists. And, you know, um, having partners and and uh, strategic partnerships where you have people who bring different things to the table of value. Look, that skin color, unfortunately, as presently structured, is still a valuable commodity. I, I like want to fact, change so. those things. I want to change. I obviously want to change that over time, but I'd be a fool to not recognize its existence. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so that is a, that was a very, is like a very casually presented question, but very painfully uh, it, like it, it's just like you, you laid it out there, just very careful. It's, one of, it's, it's like is, it's like that like question, it. like would you rather get stabbed or would you rather get shot? <laughs> right, it's and like it's like damn, oh. if I you know if I if I really don't have a choice, right. can I, I just I walk guess. my can I just walk my hard working, wanting to be successful, educated, well dressed black behind in the room. And be respected like everybody else. And, and the, the answer, answer is not yet. Right. Damn. Damn. Damn, James. <laughs> not yet. You know? <laughs> I mean, oh, I, uh, man. I'm glad that I was able to ask that question. It, that. Is, uh, it is frustrating and infuriating in some ways. But when you know, you know, and then the question next is what you do. You know, that's that 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 is that is it. When you know it, when you know it's not fair, the question next is what you do. And I admire Byron for standing up and fighting and uh, taking his case all the way up to the Supreme Court, no matter which way it goes for not laying down. Going forward, who knows what is next strategy um will be 
with regard to getting ahead. But I have a sneaking suspicion that his strategy is not going to be laying down and quit. So if this doesn't go his way, he'll be buying more stuff. He'll be doing he'll be doing more action. He'll be producing better things to the point that that you you aren't gonna be able to make him eat in the back room like Langston Hughes say. Eventually, you gonna get it's gonna be too beautiful for you to to say I don't want any of this. The cake right. gonna be too good, and you are gonna have to get a piece. And so I'm I'm happy that I'm happy that he's pushing. I support I support him and people who are who are like minded and um and and like him in terms of their action and that's the type of um that's the type of example that that I want to follow and hopefully uh set for others going forward. That's I I feel like that's the direction we need to go despite the fact that things ought to be fair by now and aren't. Beautiful to say. One of the things that I I like to uh, think is that we are currently in the midst of what could possibly be considered a black renaissance again, to where our creative elements, our economic elements, our business savvy, all of the greatest of us are shining uh, at this at this point in time. We're getting our shine. We're getting our just do a lot of first blacks are, you know, are happening in the past, I say five to 10 years, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about inclusion, it's kind of sad. You know, we've been here for, you know, forever and first blacks are still happening now. Whereas the other has been dominating for years, but you can always tell when, you know, when a brother or sister steps into the room, because the, what you thought was dominant, what you thought was a dominant force before is now completely overshadowed by perfection and execution and excellence uh, to the utmost, uh, especially when you're talking about sports, when you're talking about uh, music, when you're talking about arts. When you, I mean, when you're talking about anything, really, I mean, it's nothing that we cannot do. It has been proven time and time again. Even when you stack the deck against us, we play cards, you know what I'm saying? It's what we do. So you stack the deck up and we still dealing them out and we still killing you with the hand that we got. You know what I'm saying? If this is a game of spades, you dealing us cards and we don't even have spades in some kind of way, we still racking books up over here. Not as many as we should or could, but we still getting books and we don't even have spades. So um, I think this is perfect, perfect time for us to transition over into the after show portion uh, because in terms of economic inclusion and inclusion in general for us, I want to I want to bring up the Colin Kaepernick situation, and I feel like that topic is going to bring up a lot of barbershop talk, as we as as you might call it, to where we use some choice words. Because I have a you know I have an opinion that I think um, you two may or may not agree with. I think DJ will probably agree with me. Doc gonna Doc gonna Doc gonna kind of lean to the soft side, and you know. You gonna say it's all good, but you know I'm gonna lay it out. So I think we're gonna transition over to the to the after show, um, so we can talk about the Colin Kaepernick thing because you know we are we did bring up two Americas. You know we got we got we got a lot of things going on uh, in terms of us being included the way that we should be included because like I said, there's the facade that we're being included in everything. There's nothing that black people can't do. You've had a black president. You've got black people that own TV stations. You've got 
black athletes. You've got black people that own sports teams. Uh, but then you look at it, and then you're like, okay, so it's 32 basketball teams in the, in, in the NBA, and only one is owned by a black man. He is not a, you know, Michael Jordan owns the Bobcats, but he don't, I mean, he don't, I think he just gave up a little bit more of his percentage. He's still a majority owner, yes, but out of 32 teams, only one black man owns. Out of uh, 32 NFL teams, there are no black owners. Out of all of the Major League Baseball teams, I think none of them have majority black owners, but I know Magic Johnson and Venus and Serena are minority owners in a few, I mean, in, in two teams. So, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's a conversation to be to be had and kind of just put things into perspective, especially when you talk about economic inclusion, economic inclusion. And like DJ said, it's one of those things where we have to take the variables that we can control in this experiment that we're a part of. I'll say that. Um, and, 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 and tweak the outcome for, for us. And as uncomfortable as it may be in some cases, like DJ said, you got to get out of your own way. We don't have to be the face of everything. We don't have to blast out every time this is black owned. But by no means am I saying not to be proud of your blackness, to hide your blackness, to hinder yourself because of your blackness. But uh not to tone police or anything like that, but you don't have to kick the door in at the at the at the conference room and be like, I'm black, deal with me because I'm black or else you're discriminating. It doesn't require that all of the time. And I think that's kind of the point that it boils down to because things are already stacked against us. And sometimes we may make it harder for ourselves, not intentionally, but small things that we do makes it easier for us to, you know, get the get, get more, more, more cars added to the deck and the stack gets higher. Um, but that's going to, that's going to do it for this, this this portion of the Brethren podcast, and if you've listened before, you know we uh, go into what we call the after show. That's where we get candid and real, and we use choice words. Uh, it is not for the kids, so put them to bed because this conversation is going to get real. Like I said, we're going to talk about uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, and his situation in terms of economic inclusion and just inclusion in general. Because, um, like I said, we we're uh, veering off course slight a bit from our normal format of topic uh two or three subtopics and going into it and um this one was more of a roundtable discussion of a general topic based on current events that are relevant uh, in particular the byron allen case so you know if you listen to this and you have not followed it definitely go ahead and uh do some research on it one resource that is reliable, slightly biased though, is thegrio.com. Byron Allen's company owns thegrio.com. It is a uh, an African American news source, so um, definitely uh, follow them. Uh, but like DJ said, it's not this is not something that's going to be blasted across the news screen all of the time, especially not with all of the bull that's going on in the administration. So um, you got to go search for this kind of information and. Uh, the implications of this decision could have, you know, long-lasting effects for us. Uh, it could not. 
who knows? But it's something we definitely want to pay attention to. It's definitely something that we need to be aware of. But that's going to do it for the Brethren Podcast, the first portion of the this episode. And we're going to transition over to the after show. Um, but it's been fun. And uh, hopefully we won't fall off schedule uh, and have such a hiatus in between. Um, but we'll catch y'all in the after show. <laughs>